Tonight, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland, Ellis Williams covering the Browns for Cleveland.com. How are we doing tonight, Ellis? I'm good, Brad. Thanks for having me. You do great work, man, so I appreciate you letting me come on. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that uh, the kind words as well. We're uh, thrilled to have you. Uh, I want to point directly to uh, an, some work that you've done recently here with, you know, all the J.J. Watt uh, talk going on. Uh, your colleague, Mary Kay Cabot, you know, coming out, kind of breaking the news earlier this week that the Browns are in serious consideration uh, by J.J. Watt to potentially come to Cleveland. Uh, you wrote an article, and I will point our listeners over to that article to go check it out at cleveland.com, uh, why playing alongside Miles Garrett is the best schematic fit for J.J. Watt. So we're going to get into some of that here tonight, obviously, but go check out that article at cleveland.com by Ellis Williams. Um, but there's there's a number of teams here up for consideration, so the way I kind of look at this is, right, you've got Cleveland, and we're going to talk about that, but you've got Pittsburgh. The draw there is his brothers, right? You've got Green Bay. That's home, right? Wisconsin is home for him. The Titans is back in the AFC South. The Bucks is Brady, and the Chiefs is, you know, obviously a major contender. Every team kind of has their pull. Uh, the thing about the Browns, what, what's the major thing about the Browns? I think you can view them as a contender, to me, it's kind of the money. What's the major thing, you know, without diving into the schematic stuff, but major thing on the surface you think that makes the Browns attractive for J.J.? For me, I think it starts and stops with Miles Garrett. I, I understand the cap situation, uh, which was actually raised a little bit this morning. Uh, reports said teams are going to have a little more money than they think. And to me, I think that most people in football and just fans in general either understand or need to know that in a way the salary cap is is kind of fake, right? Like you can manipulate that how you want. If a team like the Green Bay Packers, though a bit strapped right now, feel like going all in next year, they're going to be able to make it work and, and get J.J. Watt in Green Bay. So Watt's going to get the, the money and the, the dollar amount that he – both deserves and desires, but that's why I think that schematically is where the, the number one priority comes in. If I were JJ Watt considering where I wanted to play and that again, starts and stops with miles Garrett. There's only one of him in this league, right? I think Aaron Donald is really the only other guy with his versatility, explosiveness, and just game wrecking ability. And, you know, the four or five year age gap there, I really do think miles Garrett is next, you know, the next alpha pass rusher in this league. I, if he can put together, not and not if, when he puts together a 16-game season, you know, a, a year ago we saw the, the Mason Rudolph situation, of course, cost him the back half of his season. And then this year, COVID-19 changed everything when he came back and he just wasn't the same guy. Give him 16-game no. season with no distractions. And I think he flirts with that Michael Strahan all-time sack record, you know, 22 and a half. He's, he's, that, he's that good. So now focusing on J.J. Watt, that gives you a running mate that completely changes what you're able to do up front. Like Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt made some noise when they were both in Houston, right? But Miles Garrett is two times the player Jadavion is, and that's no knock on Clowney. You know, he's a nice player, but we're talking about a bona fide future Hall of Famer who's just 25 years old and a, and a freakish athlete and a specimen on that football field. So plugging him in 
either right next to Miles Garrett, having Miles at end and JJ Watt at defensive tackle, a position he played in college, a position he played early in his NFL career, and one that he rotationally came in and, and has done the, the past two seasons would do wonders for him. He's effective inside. He's going to take advantage of smaller guards. You can't double team him there. And then if you want to flop that, put Watt at end and bring Miles Garrett inside, you know, it's, it's dirty, it's mucky in there. It, you have the flexibility to do that. I think the Browns then be, become one of the better defensive lines in football, if not the best. And anyone who watched the Super Bowl this year saw what a defensive line does for you. It swings games. It's probably the third most important unit on a football team in terms of roster building and going from what he had in Houston and just playing too many snaps to being able to be a role player and an impactful one on meaningful rundowns and got to have it pass downs. I think it would be the best situation JJ Watts ever played in. Yeah, you make great points. I mean, my main takeaway from the Super Bowl and I did, we did a show right afterwards to react like what the Browns can learn and it's totally the defensive line, right? Like, you have to be able to get home with four. Like, if you're going to play with the Chiefs and if you're going to compete in the FC and, and play with Josh Allen and Mahomes and those guys, you've got to be home, get, be able to get home with that front four, which becomes so crucial in this offseason as, you know, uh, the, they need to find the running mate for Miles Garrett. Uh, J.J. Watt, you know, there are some things here that, that you're mentioning that – would be very attractive. So, you know, obviously we know the Browns can be a contender. At least we feel that way. I think J.J. Watt sees that uh, just from the reports that we've heard. I think that um, you mentioned the cap kind of, you know, it's a fluid situation. We don't know what the cap's going to end at. You know, the guy said that they may not know till hours before the league year starts exactly yeah. what the numbers. I mean, that's absurd, right? So yeah. we don't know really what. And you're so you're so right that teams can – they can manipulate the cab any way they want. Somebody that really wants him could probably, you know, say his market's around like 10 million, which I'm guessing it's probably going to be maybe that high, uh, depending on what team we're talking about. Some teams probably can manipulate their cap for one year to get him on that deal if they really wanted to. So the money can is a, it's a weird issue, but the Browns have some that they can offer. So if it did come down to dollars and cents, they're right there. You bring up the schematic stuff and the and the playing with Miles Garrett and the things that that can do for him, and that's absolutely huge. So let's talk about a couple non-fits: Pittsburgh and Green Bay play a three-four. The Browns play a 4-3, and, and it's become clear, as you write in your article, that Watt is better in the 4-3, even, as you said in your article, Houston had moved to a, a four-man front in the last year. Talk about that, why he's better with his hand in the dirt than a stand-up player at this point in his career. Yeah, let's first start with just the, the longevity of J.J. Watt's career. You know, he's never really been a, a stand-up, and in general, like even when Houston was running a 3-4, they used him with his hand in the dirt as one of the, the ends, yes. you know, on the line, but then would have outside guys drooping over him. And then when you can motion or, you know, change your alignment across the, the defensive line, you can get him on an edge and still play a three, four. So like, I'm sure green Bay would find a way to keep his hand in the dirt and keep him effective on the outside. But the reason the four, three, I think should be more appealing to him is because you, you always will have those four down linemen. It is your base formation. And 
teams that run a 4-3 prioritize that defensive tackle spot more than having a one nose tackle, maybe another guy rolling in, and then asking those ends to do a lot of the dirty work. And yeah. it's just it's it is a grueling, rough business in there. And a guy who's turning yeah. thirty two and and on you know the twilight of his career here wants to play on the edge and keep it you know avoid the, the muck, avoid the double teams. I mean, at, at thirty one years old, just a year ago, JJ Watt was the most double teamed defensive lineman in football you know, right there with Aaron Donald. And he blew Miles Garrett and uh, Zadarius Smith at Green Bay away in the in the double teams, and his win rate was just as high as Miles and his brother T.J. Watt. So to, the best way to avoid those doubles is either keeping him on the edge, so in a 4-3 as a traditional defensive end, with a guy like Miles Garrett right next to him, or just having them both on each end and making them choose. And that's where I think that the differences come in when you're looking at either Green Bay or Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh has Cam Hayward and whatnot, and that that is a, a factor. But there's also something I think we may need to discuss about where Pittsburgh's at just as a team. You know, he Absolutely. wants to play for a contender, and he's not going to come out and publicly say that the team his brother's on isn't a contender but I think most people across the NFL landscape recognize Pittsburgh's in a pretty sh- shaky situation right now. So if he does end up there, it is far more about playing with family than it is actually getting that ring, which is why I'm taking the, the Packers, the Bucks, and the Browns the most seriously. I think Tennessee's a sneaky one there. Mike Vrabel was his defensive coordinator for a long time yes. there. In Houston. There's a lot of familiarity there. But to me, I just don't think there's outside of the family aspect of this there. I just don't see Pittsburgh being a great fit, both for what I just laid out and and the schematic reason. So Watt would have both the ability to play where he wanted to across a four, three defensive line, you know, having more spots and that four option than that three. And because of the Browns depth at defensive line. And now listeners might be like, wait, what depth? I promise you all. They're going to, even if Watt ends up in Cleveland, they'll draft another defensive end. They're going to add a D tackle. Andrew Billings is coming back after opting out last year. This is going to become one of the the deeper defensive lines in terms of, you know, B minus, B plus players. I mean, Sheldon Richardson is still one of the most consummate pros in this league. They're just looking for that one more star that can be rotational. Like he was just, JJ Watt was just playing too many snaps last year in Houston. Keep him fresh. Yeah. Let him come in when when he, it's necessary, and the Browns will have the depth to do that. And I don't think he has those options in other places. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, and you mentioned you know them lining up next to each other, and then you know even playing on opposite edges. Talk about, I mean, what that can do in your film review. You kind of broke down how teams run away from Garrett and they run away from Watt, <laughs> putting them on both edges. You know, what does that do to a team, right? Like, I mean, you can't really scheme to stop that guy anymore. And then the other question I wanted to ask, and you can answer this along with this, you mentioned him uh, providing a firmer edge than Vernon did. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Of course, yeah. Let's start there just to, to, to understand of how important listeners for how important setting an edge is in the game of football. There's two things you can't let happen getting beat deep in the passing game and allowing teams to just run outside of you. You know, the sideline is not necessarily your friend like it is in some basketball defensive philosophies. When the players get that edge, they're too athletic in this league to get going. And blocking schemes are too good to, to 
firm that up. And if you don't have a heavy set, traditional bruising defensive end who can both get their hips flipped, their shoulders in parallel about to the quarterback, then you're going to either get gashed in the nine gap there, or you're going to get ran outside. Like Olivier Vernon had a nice season, but he is just a, J.J. Watt is a step up there just from the natural size and girth. You know, you just can't teach that. You, you can't teach the physical ability of having the, the, the size and, and the, the hold and the lower body strength that J.J. Watt has. And that's something that I, I as we drift more towards calling Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt both edge rushers, they're still different football players on the football field in terms of what they are best at. Like they both can with the quarterback, but in the run game, they're, they they are doing slightly different things based on just size alone. TJ is great in the run game for different reasons than Miles is and why JJ is. And I think that's what the Browns are going to need, especially in a 4-3 unit, just a, a firm edge setting guy. And that's what JJ Watt's really good at. So now regarding your first question, yeah, in terms of Miles and JJ, it, it is a – it's a combination that would make double teaming extremely difficult when you're putting them in interchangeable positions like that. First, we can just talk pass pro and I'll get to, and then I'll get to the running point right after this. It's a math problem to the, either the left or the right of the center. So let's say miles Garrett is lined up over left tackle. And then you have JJ Watt at defensive tackle that becomes a math equation to the left of the center. So center guard tackle, perhaps a tight end where, okay, we, can't we don't have enough guys to double both these talents because of the, the rate at which they win so no, now yeah. it's a, a cost benefit analysis too there like both these guys beat our doubles are we just wasting bodies on this side and then there's not going to be a scrubs on the other side of the defensive line you know adrian claiborne still has some decent reps in them sheldon richardson yes. could be over there and i'm again i'm confident they add a top 50 top 60 rookie in the 2021 nfl draft so now it's it's reminiscent of what joe woods had in san francisco when he was the pass game coordinator with the 49ers uh, anchored by nick bosa in that you know they had five first round picks across that defensive line and yeah he, joe woods designs really good pass defenses but it also helps when you've got just horses that win up front and your back seven then can cover less so yes. that makes double teaming difficult and it just makes the one-on-one matchups matchups advantageous for the Browns. And then in terms in running the football in for listeners who haven't seen the, or read the story, it would really help if you went in and watched the two clips I put in of uh, teams repeatedly. It was a Cowboys clip running outside zone. Let's say miles Garrett's on the right. They're just going to run outside zone to the left completely takes miles Garrett out of the play. It does not matter how hard he chases backside. And they even sent a, a wham block, a tight end across to just pop him which is yeah. annoying, pestering play, but it's a smart thing to do. It's like chipping him in a, on a pass set. You pull up J.J. Watt's tape, and Arthur Smith of the Tennessee Titans did the same exact thing, who's now the yeah. head coach of Atlanta. So, you know, one of the best off, offensive coordinators in football, still game planning for a 32-year-old J.J. Watt, running away from him, saying, you know what, we don't want those problems. Even though we have Derrick Henry in one of the best zone-blocking schemes in football, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to run away from you. If you put Garrett and Watt at both ends – it, it, what are offensive coordinators going to do? They're not going to have yeah. a lot of options. And you're go, either going up the middle or the Browns run defense becomes a top five unit again, because of the versatility and, and the problems it would create for offensive coordinators. The Browns to me just stand out as the best schematic fit for JJ Watt. 
Yeah, I mean, you absolutely nail it. I mean, their versatility, Garrett and Watt have such great versatility. You mentioned it in the article about uh, Watt moving in on his downs that he played inside. He played 200 snaps at defensive uh, inside, so defensive line on the interior, and got a PFF grade of 90.1 last season. Incredible, right? And we've seen Garrett move inside, and you actually show in your article a clip of them both basically taking the the, the guard to school yeah. uh, on an inside move and getting to the quarterback. And then you think about, you know, lining up next to each other prevents the ability to double team or overload one side like we saw teams do with, with Garrett sometimes. And then, you know, uh, they put the, you know, spread them out on both edges and they can't run away from one. It just, you to it's going to stress out, uh, you know, offenses ability to protect their quarterback and their run schemes is really going to stress how they, you know, construct their run schemes. Like you said, the wham block coming back. I mean, you can't do that anymore. If you've got a guy on the other side that has the same versatility and the same type of skill set, it's just going to cause a lot of problems for people. And um, I think that that is absolutely huge. And it is a really good point to make that something that JJ Watt really has to consider uh, in where he goes for one thing, you know, just success in general, but prolonging his career. I mean, talk about how this could prolong his career. And then I want to ask you about that top 60 pick you were talking about. So go ahead and, and, and talk about how this could prolong his career. Um, you know, obviously we think they're going to add some depth there. Uh, and they have, you know, of course, Claiborne coming back, who I think they'll hold on to and everything. Um, and then the other guy, uh, who else are they going to bring back? Uh, his name is escaping me right now. Uh, Olivia Vernon's a possibility. Uh, Vernon's a possibility. And then the guy that's a free agent. Yeah. There's a guy that's a free agent. Uh, I forget his name now. Anyways, uh, and then they have Curtis Weaver coming yep. in from Boise State. We'll see what he can provide and everything. But, yeah, go ahead and talk about how that, uh, you know, just the presence of Garrett and, and that line could, you know, He's playing too many downs, like you said, right? And this could prolong his career big time. Exactly. He would – J.J. Watt, I'm, I'm assuming, is really considering where he can be most effective and also get a couple shots at this ring. You know, a team like the Packers makes a lot of sense. Hometown team, they got a guy like Zadarius Smith, another talented edge rusher, and they would find ways to – let J.J. Watt put his hand on the grass and be that outside guy. But across that D-line, it's not as deep as the Cleveland Browns. And on top of that, they would not have the ability to flop Zadarius Smith inside and put Watt on the outside like you could in Cleveland. So less snaps and more advantageous snaps give you – less wear and tear on your body. To me, it it is truly that simple. The one thing that as we lay this all out and this doesn't need to turn into a Baker Mayfield conversation, but ESPN did report that quarterback is going to be the number one thing JJ Watt considers. And we are talking about Aaron Rodgers here. So it, it is when I saw that report come out, I did, you know, I did freeze a little bit like Baker obviously improved immensely this season, but yeah, I'm not talking crazy on here to say there's obviously a a large gap between Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield, right? So that is going to be, if it ends up being Green Bay, I think that's an Aaron Rodgers effect for you because as you look at 
just comparing both defensive lines, considering opportunity and a diminished role that J.J. Watt could have and a chance to stay fresh for the playoffs, you know, not needing him a lot early and and building him up late, uh, 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 just a less of a snap count than he's ever had in his career. That's how he could play two, maybe even three more seasons rather than, you know, going out for one more in Green Bay Super Bowl or bus type season. You know, he hasn't mentioned retirement. It's more of a narrative based on his age. But again, playing in Cleveland gives him a chance to just not be asked to do a lot until it really matters. And avoid injury from where it's, I mean, he's had injury problems his whole career. This would be a major factor, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. He, I played sixteen, all 16 games last year, eight the year before that, um, 16 again, and then he's got some like five and threes in there, back surgeries, groin, torn pec. I mean, he, it is, a, it is a, a decent list of injuries that have, have cost him games. And in that, uh, in 2019, he did miss eight games. He did come back for the playoff run there and made some, some impact plays for them in that first round. So, I mean, toughness is nothing you have to question, but that's the thing about Watt is it, it, as I bet his agent, I bet his, his training staff, uh, I bet his family aside from probably TJ Watt is telling him, look, <laughs> consider the longevity here. You don't need to be Superman anymore. Let miles Garrett be Superman. You you come in and be the, the stealthy Batman, if you will, if we're building a Justice League roster here and and strike when when it's advantageous for the squad. Let Miles Garrett do the heavy lifting now. The Browns are the only team that can offer that option. Yeah. Um, okay, so you mentioned in the article and a couple times on the show here that you think, and I do too, they will address end as well in the draft You know, with a first-round pick or second-round pick. So we're talking top 50 t- – Top 54 pick, right, uh, yep. if they're at 26. So um, do you have a guy that you're really in love with there that you like a lot that you think that they should maybe target or a couple guys that you like? I do. I do. I can give you two names quickly. Um, the first one's going to be Greg Rousseau. And, and funny, they're both Miami guys. Uh, didn't play together this past season. One opted out, one played. Uh, it would have been incredible to see what happened. Rousseau opted out this year. Um Physical freak, six five and a half, six six defensive end, traditional four three hand on the grass defensive end, the type of size that we talked about at the start of the show that can set the edge and will, can, can keep growing into that frame that he has. And he produced fifteen and a half sacks, I believe, in twenty nineteen, uh, playing in the ACC. That that's just a freakish number. And again, didn't play in twenty twenty, so we don't have that tape. But he's a guy that if he's available at twenty six, you have to pick him. I'm worried he won't be, and this would have to be a front office decision to move up and grab him. In some mocks, I see him going as high as 11. The other name to watch for me is Jalen Phillips. He's a guy, again, a a teammate, uh, did play in 2020. Similar uh, just physical attributes to Greg Rousseau, but didn't have the the raw production numbers that Rousseau had. So he he feels more like project i think is a little too harsh but he's just a, a little less than what Rousseau has just based on on-field college production but again you're looking for that size and someone that can come in and be situational for you because here's the situation the browns are in if they miss out on what now we're looking at a team a lot weaker across a defensive line because you're asking marginal b b minus players to be every down B plus A minus players. We saw what Adrian Claiborne was when he was asked to be a, a big rep guy, and he he really hurt the Browns in that Chiefs game. They they really yeah. missed Olivier Vernon in that playoff run, 
but getting Watt plus a top 50 or 60 pick completely renovates this defensive line overnight. Let again, like I just said, let Miles Garrett do the heavy lifting, be Superman, let the rookie have his fresh legs and get his reps. And then JJ Watt can pick his spots. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it makes a lot of sense to me too. And I said, even before this whole Watt thing started, I was kind of just had, you know, going into the off season in my mind, like I think at 26, they should address edge rusher just because the Super Bowl is enforced more than ever how important that position is and your ability to get to the quarterback. And, and I think you want to help your secondary and, and the Browns need to do all that. They need to address a lot of positions on the defense for sure. But I think it starts up front. Like you can't, you know, just depend on guys to cover forever in the NFL. And, and guys like Mahomes and Allen are going to give themselves a long time you got to be able to get to the quarterback without having to blitz guys out of coverage. And, and I just and it really feel strongly that they should address it with what if they can, if not another guy in free agency and maybe their top pick in the draft. I really like Joseph Asa from Texas, really high on him. I, I liked him a lot. I love his tape and he seems fast. Seems he's young, and I think he can put on some more weight probably before the season come around. I like him a lot as a guy. I like Rousseau a lot, too. My questions with him are just kind of he opted out, right? I think he's an opt-out yep. guy. Uh, so we'll have to see what he does at his pro day and how he looks there and everything. So that'll that'll be interesting. We, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest tonight, Ellis Williams of Cleveland.com covers the Browns for you. Go check out his article that we've been talking about. Why playing alongside Miles Garrett is the best schematic fit for J.J. Watt. Really good stuff. You can actually watch the film portion of it. We're talking about it here, but you can watch the film portion of the article if you go check that out at cleveland.com, and I urge you to do so. Uh, let's talk a couple other things here off-season-wise. Let me get uh, to where I'm supposed to be here. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Baker, and we talked about Baker a little bit. Uh, just kind of a couple questions that I kind of ask everybody. In your opinion, Ellis, do you think that this is the offseason that they should sign Baker to an extension? It's the $30 million question, right? Yeah. It, I would say this. If given the option, you wait. And you wait for a few reasons. You wait because Jared Goff just got traded away and his team that dealt him and signed him to that $30 million a year annual contract over $100 million had to give up a first-round pick to give him to okay. get rid of You wait because the, a guy who signed a similar contract and was the number two pick that same year Jared Goff went number one, Carson Wentz, was benched this year looked like a shell of himself and was just traded for, you know, essentially like a two and a three and maybe uh, some things that can convert into a one just because you play good for a season and specifically really well for eight games. Doesn't mean it's the quarterback you're going to be for the rest of the, the time you're in this league. There's some cautionary tales out there. Even Jimmy Garoppolo playing in a super bowl doesn't feel like he's going to be there long-term for the 49ers. This league changes quickly. It humbles you fast. I think Baker can be a guy that is consistent in this league. But the Browns had the number one offensive line in football, according to PFF, both passing and run blocking for the first time yep. in PFF's recorded history. That is not sustainable. Could the Browns do it next year? Sure. Could they do it two, two or three years in a row? Possibly. Guys get older. People get hurt. Things change. And your quarterback needs to be a problem solver, 
I think Baker's a smooth operator and pulls all the right levers, a lot like Kirk Cousins in Minnesota when things are really good around him. I'm not quite convinced yet he's an all-encompassing problem solver worthy of that $30 million, $35 million now where we're trending contract that you know a guy like Dak Prescott or we saw Deshaun Watson get. Yeah, it's really tough because there's no in-between, right? It's like he really shouldn't command the same money as Deshaun Watson or whatever, but there's no in-between in these in these markets. It's like the next guy gets the next biggest deal, and that's just the way the NFL works. The, the, the pause that I have about waiting, Ellis, is I just have I, – I wonder I – don't, I don't see a situation where his value goes down. Like, I only see him improving in this offense. The offensive line is all coming back. So if waiting a year, which is all really the longer you can wait to sign him to an extension extension, right, uh, I, I think – I mean, I guess you could wait him all the way out, but now then you're looking at going into Dak Prescott territory, what the Cowboys did, and they botched that whole situation, and they're killing, shooting themselves in the foot right now with all of that. Uh, but, you know, franchise tag stuff and everything. But I think that waiting could just cost you more money, potentially. You know what I mean is, is the one thing that I kind of fear. Uh, the other situation you kind of have to think about is the cap is probably going to go back up next year. So, and not that the money hit the new money won't hit until what, two years from now, but it's still, um, something that you have to think about when you're talking about, uh, you know, where he ends up 30, 35, 25, it seems like the perfect number for me, but you know, he's you know, his agent isn't going to do that. I don't know if you can talk him into taking any kind of a discount. It's just a, it's a weird situation. I would do it now because I just only see him performing better and maybe commanding more money in the long run. And if it saves you three to $5 million for the next five years, a season, then I think it's worth it to do it now. Um, I guess I don't really see a scenario where they go, eh, he's not our guy anymore. But I do get your point in that you only, it's still a short sample size. I mean, you got his rookie year, you got a bad year, you got a so-so start, and then really good, you know, nine games, right? So uh, it's, 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 it's tough. It's a tough question. Uh, Nick Chubb extension, this offseason, wait. That one, I'm leaning more towards finding a deal. Kareem Hunt is making about $6 million a year signing extension last season. Yeah. Market value would tell you around the Derrick Henry number that he got last year that Chubb's worth about 11 or $12 million a season, meaning he's making double what Hunt's making. I don't know how that checks out in that locker room. I, I, I'm not sure. You, know, you don't look, count another man's pocket, of course, but just on paper, that sounds like a, a, you know, a steal number for Kareem Hunt and a market value for Nick Chubb. And I think Chubb's one of the you know three running backs in this league that actually changes games and changes offenses. We saw that the Browns just weren't the same without the one-two punch of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They need them both. So I think you pay Nick Chubb, despite what the analytics say about paying a back and how analytic-friendly uh, this front office is. Yeah, I agree, too. I, you know, I, I pause at that thought, too, about, you know, paying a running back and, you know, the way this front office thinks. But – Nick Chubb is different. He's a different kind of guy, and I think he's special. And I think they realize that too. So I think they'll they'll uh, sign him. 
this year or next year whenever the time is right for them. We, you know, we haven't seen Andrew Barry operate or handle these situations yet, so this is all kind of new for us to see how he's going to, you know, uh, navigate the, the waters of, you know, 17 free agents this offseason, right? You know, how he's going to handle that, so... You know, uh, so you know, I'm going through all 17 of them doing a free agency file on each one. It's exhausting, man. I'm like, oh, my gosh, these guys, it's it's crazy, 17 of them. I mean, and that's a lot to think about, you know. There's, there's guys you want to bring back. There's guys that have priced themselves out. There's guys that are going to get more on the market than they're really worth. And, and it's it's tough. It's a tough spot to be in. Addressing that defense, uh, one question that I've kind of recently been pondering, and you're actually the first person I presented this to is, is Grant Delpit, right? Grant Delpit, we know, we loved him as a pick. I, you know, I I won't, I didn't want, I, I hate being this guy, but I really wanted Antoine Winfield and I wanted to scream, I told you so, it's somebody really bad during the Super Bowl, right? But anyways, that's okay. I love Delpit too, and he's going to be a stud. The question is, how do you address the safety room? Like, can you mark him in as a starter, uh, or do you think the front office looks at him as a question mark uh, for the future and that you need to address it with another starter? I think you pencil him as a, in a, as a starter for this reason. I, Joe Woods, I have a feeling, is building towards a, a dream 4-1-6 defense where he plays mm-hmm. six backs on the field, meaning you just need a lot of them. You're going to need a plethora of them. Ronnie Harrison, Grant Elpit, draft another guy, perhaps sign somebody. You, you need the bodies. You know, you can never have too many defensive backs, a lot like defensive line. Keep them rolling, yep. keep them fresh. And in terms of Delpit, I think he is going to be a game-changing type guy. I was all over Winfield, too. I completely agree with you. Obviously, the big difference there is their size. Delpit's got those long arms. He can get into tight ends. And I, I think he's going to be a, a, a nice player in this league. But just because you're penciling Delpit in doesn't mean you don't keep adding talent. And I suspect they'll do that in the draft. And you're right, you know, Joe Woods ideally, I think, wants to have three safeties on the field a lot of the time. And so with that, knowing that scenario and knowing what kind of, like, he was talking a lot in the preseason when Delpit got hurt, like, oh, we were going to have him doing this, that, the other thing, you know, and this kind of throws a wrench in all our issues, you know, before the season starts. Well, okay, I almost think, like, you got to, get like three starting caliber safeties on this team and because I don't think adding another guy in the draft and maybe the second or third round or somebody in free agency that is a starting caliber player is going to block him from any reps at all I think that all three of them will end up on the field and you can really use Delpit all over the place then if he's healthy you know you can bring him up and he can play the slot or cover the tight end or or or, or you know come up and play the run uh, I think they like that Viper, you know, they call it whatever, but that hybrid linebacker safety type role a lot. Uh, I think the NFL is going that way as a whole, but uh, certainly uh, the Browns like that, and I think Joe Woods likes that. And, and not having Delpit kind of set that back a year, but I, I see him kind of readjusting for that. So I, I agree. I think they should address it aggressively and get a third safety, you know, with Harrison and him, and, and another really good one, I think, would make a lot of sense. Um, you heard Kevin Colbert's comment on uh, Ben Roethlisberger. Reaction to that? Very noncommittal. Thoughts on, on what he had to say? I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't have much of a reaction to it. I think that's the dance that you do this time of year in the offseason. The, the, the 
Pittsburgh Steelers are kind of stuck with Ben Roethlisberger. They, they've made their bet here. I'm pretty confident he'll be back next year at a reworked number. Perhaps they add another year on and just kind of kick that down the road. And he's going to be their guy. It just kind of is what it is. And it's the time of the year where you, you see who blinks first. But there's not much yeah. other options out there for them. Yeah, you're right. And and I kind of took it like, okay, this is just code for you need to take less money, exactly. uh, right? You know, $41 million cap hit is absurd, right? Especially this season. And for a guy like at, at Ben's age where – I don't like I, as a Browns fan, I want him to come back for another year. I want the Browns to get two more shots at him. We owe him a few, right? You know, all those years of domination from Ben Roethlisberger beat him in the playoffs. I think I would love to see him back. I don't want to see him try to upgrade the quarterback position. Bring Ben back. I want another shot at him twice next year, right? I hear that. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, I it, it was interesting, though. I guess the the, the interesting part is, the Steelers never treated their stars like that in when I was growing up in the past, right? Like, it, it kind of changed after Lev Bell, right? Like, they always had this, like, ultra loyalty to their organization where they would never even kind of air this grievance publicly, I think, in the past. I think the way that they're treating their top-level guys or their stars or their big names is a little different now that, that they've gone through the Lev Bell situation in the Antonio Brown situation, right? So I think they not they just kind of approaching it a, a little differently than they used to. Like they never would have done this with Terry Bradshaw in in his final years, right? Like you know. So I guess that's kind of where I'm going with that. Um, reaction to the big trade today, Carson Wentz, uh, you know, goes to the Colts. I kind of at first was like good. Like I know it's Frank Reich and it's Wentz together, but I'm glad it's not Watson and I'm glad it's not somebody else. Right. Uh, what, what's your first reaction to that trade? I, I think that the Colts are a team that is, are going to be really good regardless of who was going to be at quarterback. And forgive me, my, my phone's going off over there. It's away from oh, me. Don't worry about it. No but, worries. Um, they're going to be good regardless of who plays quarterback. And you're right. Watson makes them probably a, a team that could really knock off the Chiefs. Right now, I really do have them as the number two or three team in the, the AFC, but it has way more to do with their roster makeup than it does their quarterback. Wentz is going to be a guy who I think can turn the page and bounce back and have a nice season. I don't know if he can be a guy in that locker room for four, five, six, seven, ten years. But if we're just talking next season, I think it's it's an upgrade from Phillip Rivers, and they're going to be just as competitive as they were a year ago. Interesting. Uh, very good. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's his best chance, right? Like, I don't really know what happened to Carson Wentz. <laughs> he, it's like he got the yips or something, and I don't really know what happened. And and uh, But I think his best chance is certainly with Frank Reich and, and, and you know, where he found his success before. Um, It'll be interesting to see what they turn into. I, I agree. I mean, I, their defense is really good. They they just they scared me as a team without a quarterback. Is like, man, that's a ready-made team. If you put a stud quarterback on that team, they could you know overtake the Browns or be right there with them as a team in the AFC. Uh, as you're, oh, it feels like we're always evaluating. Okay, where's this team in the AFC compared to the Browns, especially 
you know, these next two years are kind of like the go for it years for the Browns, the way I feel until that Mayfield money, that Chubb money, the, you know, the Ward, Denzel Ward potential money, uh, Wyatt Teller. There's a lot of guys that need to be paid here in the coming years. And before all that money hits, they can be kind of aggressive this offseason. So uh, I really want to see him take a chance at it. Um, you agree with all that? You think this is the kind of the year to go go all in with the chips? It is. A, it's definitely time to be aggressive. They've got all the pieces there, and this AFC conference isn't getting any easier. You know, so no. When you know it, it's a tough league, you just don't know what kind of breaks you're going to get. Patrick Mahomes didn't play the last 23 minutes of a divisional round game this year, and the Browns couldn't get it done. I'm more going to look back. Browns fans will look back and see that as a missed opportunity, which is why you just got to got to be ready every year. You just do not know. So all in, sure, but just be there. Make the tournament and see how it shakes out. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Ellis, you have been outstanding, sir. We appreciate you coming on. Hopefully you'll do it again. Uh, I'm certainly going to be reading your stuff, and I really enjoyed just talking football with you, and great, great breakdown on the J.J. Watt stuff. Once again, go check that out at cleveland.com. Ellis Williams of uh, cleveland.com. Thank you, sir. Brad, thanks for having me. I'm going to go answer my phone now. Absolutely. Take care. So uh, apparently at the top of the show, you couldn't hear me at all. Uh, so I apologize to everybody out there. What a mess that was. But I'm glad, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, as Ellis Williams of Cleveland.com was fantastic. You've been watching All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, where we send the simulcast out to YouTube, Periscope, and Facebook Live. Uh, the podcast version will be available where all popular podcasts are found. Uh, go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you're watching now um, and or watching on the playback. And uh, subscribe to the show. Hit the little notification bell next to it, and it'll let you know every time we're coming out with new content. We've got all our free agency files, all 17 players coming out. We've got the playlist now that has five of them on there. Go check that out. We hit Kevin Colbert and I, you know, his comments on Big Ben, and I just want to say, I, I totally mean that. I know they they want him to restructure, but you know, I want two more shots at, at Big Ben. I want two more shots at him. Stephen A. Smith, who I think is a complete knucklehead and an idiot, uh, talked about the J.J. Watt situation and said that it would be a. Uh, I want to get this right here. A, a betrayal to go to the Browns uh, with his brothers at the Steelers. I just want to say, like, like this is this guy's first chance at free agency. It's not his fault that his brothers are on a sinking ship called the Pittsburgh Steelers now. He shouldn't be forced to show some sort of, uh, you know, whatever non-betrayal or loyalty to them and join a team with an aging, fat quarterback and 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 uh, uh, you know a depleted roster without any cap room versus you know joining a team that's on the rise like the Cleveland Browns or the Tampa Bay Bucks or the Chiefs or the Green Bay Packers or whoever he chooses.
but he shouldn't be forced to go play with his brothers on a team that won't give him a chance to win because I don't think the Steelers are going to be great next year. I may be wrong that, you know, that we always kind of consider them contenders, but they've got a lot of guys they got to deal with in free agency and not a lot of money to do it. We'll see how that all shakes out. Carson Wentz, happy that he's gone to the Colts. Just glad it wasn't somebody else sliding into that ready-made team to take off. Talked about that with Ellis for a moment. The other thing I want to say here, and just to kind of wrap this up, on the J.J. Watt thing, right? This J.J. Watt thing has exploded since Mary Kay Cabot reported that he is strongly considering the Browns, and I'm sure that he is. Do I... Does my gut think... Do I really think that he's going to sign with the Browns? I... I doubt it. I, I I just doubt it. I'm being honest here. I don't think he will. Like the Browns offer the money and the contender and this and the other. But in the end, like if he could choose the Browns or the Packers, like, and the Packers can somehow find a way to offer him the same amount of money or whatever for one year, I just see him probably going that route than the Browns just because I don't know, maybe he doesn't want to go against his brothers twice a year, or maybe that it looks like betrayal. He shouldn't have to join them, but to go against them as their rival, I don't, it's, it's a hard situation to really get a grip on. I get that the Browns are very attractive for him and Ellis makes great points. Schematically, there's really nobody better for him to join because he'll have a freak like Miles Garrett on the field with that. He changes his career longevity-wise, scheme-wise, the 4-3 fits, you know, lining them up together. Uh, they can cause mismatches all over the field. All the stuff that Ellis went over makes a lot of sense. I think what's more likely to happen is that the Browns have to address the position at 26, and I think the two guys there that you really need to circle, if you're Browns fans, are Aziz Ojolari from Georgia and Joseph Asai from Texas. I think those are the two guys that the Browns uh, will like a lot there. I like a lot there, could be there, and... I think that you compound that with another free agent in the three to five million dollar range. So Trey Hendrickson, Melvin Ingram, uh, somebody that isn't a number one rusher, but would be a, a good, nice two edge rusher, and then and then add that depth with your Weaver and your and your uh, Claiborne and the guy you drafted, who is probably your long-term solution across from Miles Garrett. So those are just kind of my thoughts there on on how it'll shake out. I hope it works out with J.J. Watt. I, I really do. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, what a great interview. And Ellis did a great job. Certainly a lot of upside and things that f- to think about and to look at for him uh, with Miles Garrett here and and uh, how he could extend his career. Some interesting points from Ellis. Go check out Ellis's work at cleveland.com. Uh, All Eyes on Cleveland is a show that interviews the top personalities on the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns. Go to www.cancer. 
www.americanscancerfoundation.org uh, to donate to the American Cancer Society. You can also check out uh, there the defender.cancer.org uh, where the American Cancer Society and NFL have teamed up to help reduce your cancer risk. Uh, you know, check yourself, make sure that you are uh, healthy at all times. It's important. It's the one time where procrastination can kill you. I uh, hope that you enjoyed the interview tonight, and uh, let's. It'll be interesting to see how the the JJ Watt sweepstakes really do shake out. Uh, so, thank you for watching. All eyes on Cleveland. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your way out. For Mikey on the ones and twos, my name is Brad Ward. We are. Out.